Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome back, everyone. Our topic today is on-farm research and the eFields report. We like to do an episode on eFields each winter after it's released, and the 2023 report is now live. So it's exciting to see all of our research converge in one place and share those results out. So Elizabeth, if you can give us a summary of the 2023 report, uh, what did we have in it this year? Another great year. We talked with Aaron as the season progressed and we saw some unique conditions like we always do in 2023. So it's neat to see um, how our yields across the state looked in general. Overall, things looked pretty good and we learned a lot about how some of our management practices that we're trying out perform in those more unique conditions like that dry spring we had and um, as we finished up a little more normal for the year. We ended the report with 184 trials coming from 47 Ohio counties. So pretty exciting. We had some of our old favorites that we've had for the last several years repeated in there, including the Soil Health Survey and some of our seeding rate, nitrogen rate trials like that. This year, we saw a big jump in the number of trials we had looking at different biologicals. So I know that's been a hot topic around the state. So if that's something you're interested in, we've got some results there that you can dig into in the in the report this year. Technology is really coming on strong. We saw a big jump. Another another topic that really emerged this year as popular was uh, things related to drones, whether that's trying to use drones to spray uh, pesticides or apply cover crops. So some new and emerging technologies that you can learn more about as well. Well, also joining us today are a couple of our core contributors who usually have a decent amount of trials in eFields year after year. So welcome to Wayne Dellinger, educator in Union County, and Nick Eckel, educator in Wood County. Um, You guys want to tell us a little bit about how you got started and your involvement with eFields? Go ahead, Wayne. Oh, thanks, Amanda. Appreciate that. Um, so when I started as a county educator in Union County, um, I kind of took a year to kind of get acclimated and and get my name out in the community and develop some relationships with the area farmers. Um, and then the following winter, I sat down with a few of them and discussed some of the protocols that we had available um, to possibly line up some research with those farms. Um, I started kind of easy with some seeding rate trials and soybeans, and it kind of just evolved over the years after that into some other studies. Thanks, Wayne. And Nick, what's your experience been like? Yeah, I guess originally I started right in the middle of the pandemic, so it was interesting trying to build relationships initially. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a my family farms and started doing some research with, with my brothers on the e-field sides of things that first year. Um, we kind of worked together on that, but then that kind of grew, got comfortable doing some protocols, built some relationships the following year and uh, kind of reached out, asked questions to, to growers, trying to figure out what their interests were um, and what their questions were, I guess, per se, to um, what they were trying to find. Um, you know, one thing I really tried to encourage as you go out to farms is, you know, we need to be conducting research, whether um, you're used to it or not. Uh, you know, we, we need to be testing something, learning something every year on our farm. I think eFields is a great way to 
a publish it for extension, but also take that experience and put it in the hands of our growers so that they can conduct that year in, year out as well. And, and I've seen our growers or producers that I've worked with do some replicated trials, learn how to do that, take that data and actually come back to me and talk a little bit, even if we didn't publish it this year, but we've talked about how to, how to set some stuff up for them if they want to do that as well. It's been fun. Um, I think we're advancing every single year on, on trying to do more and more and looking, looking at different different questions that we have as an egg community. Yeah, you mentioned that communicating the results and sharing them back out. I think that's probably one of the most fun parts for me is, is seeing that le- learning community. You know, Amanda, in your county, you do a really awesome job of bringing a group of farmers together that are curious about the research and want to test things out. And sometimes I learn the most from sitting in the room with that group of farmers and everybody's just bouncing ideas around trying to explain you know, why did we see this yield difference here, but not here. And you know, that's where progress in agriculture is made, is figuring out how those pieces of the puzzle fit together. And I'm always excited that farmers are, are willing to, to collaborate with us with these eFields projects and we can all learn together. Yeah, I think you developed a nice community here for us, Elizabeth. I mean, I know it's not all on you, but you certainly spearheaded it and we're thankful for that. Nick, why don't we start with you talking about some of the trials you've conducted over the years? Uh, Zyway was a big one last year. A lot of us had Zyway trials and you did as well. So what did you find with that particular study? Yeah, so I had a producer who was looking at... um, Yes. How is Zyway going to work into their system? Right. He was doing a mid-season V7, V8 application of fungicide coming back and then spraying um, in the R stages as well, R1 at VT, and trying to look at tar spot and how, how that all played an effect with it. Um, and he's and his question was, is, you know, is this good enough where I can just plant it on the ends of my field. So if I got sprayers that want to go and run in the middle of the, in the middle of the season, they don't have to do the perimeter. They just come in and go efficiency wise. Um, I think we found some pretty cool results at the end of the day with, with using Zyway. Um, the question we had going into it was, does it last long enough throughout the growing season? Number one, with as much rain that we have, we know that its usability may diminish over time and, and its effectiveness may diminish over time as we get later into the growing season. In 2022, we, we conducted this and Zyway alone really did a really good job of holding its own in, in both studies. And we did it at two different sites and it actually yielded two bushel higher than the other ones. We didn't see a statistical difference between any of the sites, but uh, we did see little bit like that. Um, one thing that we did do was we came back out and we took ratings um, at VT and at R1 at, at those stages. Then we came back at R6 um, timeframe to see when the tar spot started to move in and how that held up. Um, so we did a control, we did a Zyway, and we had Zyway plus foliar application at R1. Um, the initial results were that the Zyway plus foliar were definitely the cleanest as far as disease control when we looked at gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and also uh, tar spot control at the end of the day. So we didn't see, like I said, we didn't see a statistical difference on, on yield, but we did see a big difference in controlling the diseases up front and keeping those plants healthy up front. Um, I think one thing that 
when we start talking about tar spot and what we want to do with tar spot is we want to have a, a very healthy plant going into um, reproductive stage. Um, we know that tar spot in Northern Ohio likes to set in a little bit later in the season. So if we can have a healthy plant that's going to be able to defend itself and get us through the milk stages of, of the corn cycle, uh, we should be able to be able to hold on to those bushels and get us to to the end of the growing season pretty well. Yeah. So Nick, you also have dove into looking at some trials with nitrogen. Do you want to describe those in a little detail as well? Yeah. So we did a nitrogen rate trial last year. Um, first, we planted, uh, we interseeded red clover with a producer in a wheat. And the year before, had that over winter, come back, terminated that. Um, prior to planting about a week, week and a half before planting. And we were just basically looking at what were our nitrogen credits through using that legume cover crop? And can we reduce our overall nitrogen input um, in that growing season? And so we did treatments of 90 pounds of, of nitrogen, uh, 175 units of nitrogen and 250 units of nitrogen. Um, we did see a statistical difference in the study, and it was kind of eye-opening at that time about our efficiency that we were seeing in our nitrogen. And between, if we start talking about nitrogen rates and what our uses would be, so if we have a one-to-one, -one, so one pound of, of nitrogen per one pound of, or to one bushel of corn, we've seen the efficiency with that cover crop was still around that 175 units of nitrogen that we use. We gained about 30, 25 to 30 bushel per acre um, at that time. So we have a rough estimate that we maybe got 30 pounds of nitrogen out of that cover crop that year as well. And that's definitely, I think, one of the emerging areas of research that we're going to see more of in e-fields in the future. I know Amanda's partnering on a project where we're looking at nitrogen rate after a cover crop and lining that up with different seeding rates. A lot of farmers have questions about that. So really excellent research that you're contributing there, Nick. Thanks, Elizabeth. Yeah. Switching over to you, Wayne, you've been really more on the technology side with some of your trials here in recent years. Do you want to talk about some of the work you've been doing? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Looking again, I said I started out with the um, you know, seeding rate trials and kind of starting out easy and then looking over the protocols and a couple of years after that um, came across a study that was done at OSU farms with high-speed planters and um, had a relative that's got the a similar unit that they've been using for a year or so. And I approached them about doing a study with different speeds in planting soybeans because they, um, plant their soybeans on 30 inch rows. So they use the same planter for corn and soybeans. Um, so we, we kind of set up a study for that. Um, and that same year, which was 2021, uh, was talking with one of my other cooperators and in our discussions that winter prior to the, to the planting season, I, I talked about one of these studies that I had ready to go and lined up and they said, well, we've got the same planter. And I said, well, how about we do it in corn with you? And they said, we'd be happy to because we don't think we really use our equipment to its full capacity, even though we've, we've got it. So that worked out well. It, it definitely was a benefit to them and to, to our research. So in 2021, did um, speeding rate, planter speeding rate trials for corn and soybeans with two different farms. And these were rates of five mile per hour, seven and a half, 10 and 12. 
Now these planters that we're using um, were John Deere um, exact emerge planters and they were only rated up to 10 mile per hour, but we still pushed them a little bit and it got a little bit out of the comfort zone for, for one farmer more than the other, but uh, we still pushed them a little bit. And uh, for, for corn and beans, both, we really did not see a difference in emergence or yield uh, among the four treatments, which was a little bit of a surprise. We saw a little bit of variability, but when you compared five mile per hour to 12, which were the two ends of the spectrum, there really was no statistical difference. Uh, long range studies would be good to see as far as wear and tear on the equipment and that sort of thing. We were able to put together a quality second year trial on the soybeans, pretty much with the same results. The corn in the second year was a little bit more of a challenge because that was in a no-till field and we just really didn't have uh, enough horsepower in the tractor to get up to that 12 miles per hour. But, um, but again, it was, it was research that the farmers needed. And I talked with the, the ones with the corn planter that had not been really pushing it too much. And I've done work with them every year since. And, you know, talking with them, they are planning at faster speeds now, especially with weather conditions and so forth. So they saw a direct benefit to the, to the research that we did. Um, and we always try to stress that this is research for, for my purposes. This is research that's going on in Union County for Union County farmers, Union County soils, Union County data to keep locally and get local answers. The other study that I did for the first time this year was a phosphorus uptake study in corn. And this was something, again, I was sitting there over the winter and I you know, said, this is a protocol I really haven't looked that close at, but this one's here too. And they're like, we're doing something very similar to that anyway. So let's put our heads together and, and put put a, a uniform protocol together. So we did that and it was looking at um, impact of phosphorus when applied as a starter fertilizer and how its uptake um, in the plant affects the yields in corn. And uh, so they put on a 10340 rate at seven and a half gallons per acre at planting. And this was on a three by three system liquid placement at planting. And we took tissue samples at V4 and analyze those for phosphorus uptake. And the the weather is always the one variable that we can't control too much. It was very dry between planting and V4 for, for these uh, samples to be taken. So it, we really are deducing that it affected the amount of phosphorus that was taken up to the plants because we really didn't realize any difference statistically in the amount of phosphorus that was taken up by the plants in the no starter plots versus the starter plots. However, at the end of the growing season, when we took the harvest data, we did see a statistical difference of 10 bushel to the acre higher yields for those uh, plots that used the starter 103040 over the ones that had no starter fertilizer. So definitely this was one snapshot in time for this study and looking forward to hopefully year two for this to try to keep the data set intact and keep comparisons over time. I think those studies on starter fertilizer, especially with phosphorus, are always interesting when you think about how phosphorus works in the soil and, you know, availability and nutrient needs and things like that. It's good to have that information out there. Amanda, you've also got a lot of trials going on in Madison County. Do you want to talk about a few of the ones you conducted this year? 
Sure. Um, I got into a couple different trials this year, which was certainly interesting. We're working on a larger grant with um, a few people around the state. Well, Wayne's included on that grant looking at Bavaria bassiana, and that's more for treating cover crop seed. But uh, through those discussions, we learned that there'd been some trials showing it helped with uh, disease control in corn. So one farmer here in Madison was interested in treating his seed with that and seeing what we found. And we did have vomitoxin in that field at the end of the season. Unfortunately, there was not a statistical difference in dawn levels. We did find a statistical difference with the abbreviation is ZEA. It's uh, not a very common one that we talk about. There has been some studies out there that it might impact reproduction and things like that. But as far as the dawn one, where we're really the one that we're typically concerned with, uh, we didn't see a statistical difference there. But I think there's uh, still some things to learn from this product. And like I said, we have a larger study going on looking at it in cover crop. So we'll see what we find out in the future with that. Uh, and then another one that was a little bit different was looking at treating soybeans with a deer repellent. Uh, this one we did at Farm Science Review. If you're familiar with the lay of the land there, um, there's Deer Creek running through there. There's an 80 acre woods. So there's a lot of deer pressure. We treated double crop soybeans with plant skid, which is sold as a vertebrate deterrent. And unfortunately, we didn't see a yield difference in this treatment either. The I think it's it was interesting to see how much the deer really fed on the soybeans. We had exclusion cages out there and there the soybeans within the exclusion cages were about twice as tall as the ones outside of that area. A couple of things I have been thinking about with this one is maybe the feeding just occurred too soon. You know, they're out there nibbling on these soybeans as soon as they come out of the ground. And with a soybean and your growing point being at the top of the plant, that's certainly going to have a long-term impact. And this product, it works off of smell as much as like taste. So I wonder if we applied it right away, even though there's not much plant material there, you could get it onto the ground and the odor would be there if it would have any difference there rather than trying as really a recovery product is kind of what it was because they'd already been feeding on it by the time we applied when there was significant plant growth to make that happen at V3. Definitely interesting trials and very relevant. I know anybody that's got a field that's got trees around it knows how destructive deer can be in a hurry. So looking at ways to keep them off of our beans, I think is a worthwhile endeavor. So to switch gears a little bit, you guys know, as soon as we put out the 2023 report, we're all in the background starting to plan for 2024. And now that the calendar has turned to January, it's time to plan our trials. So what are you guys most excited about for trial topics looking at 2024. So yeah, in Union County, the um, projects that I've excited about for 2024, um, definitely year two on the phosphorus uptake study in corn. 
Um, had the farmers actually approach me uh, not too long ago and ask what what we have cooking for this year. So they're excited. I'm excited. Hopefully we can make a year two work out for that study and get some more data in the set for, for phosphorus uptake in corn. The other ones that I would like to um, have a redo at were two studies that got rained out in the spring of 2023. They were in the ground. One was comparing seed treatments with soybeans. We had two different seed treatments that we were doing. And actually within that study, we had another study that was comparing starter fertilizer and soybeans. Um, again, both of those got rained out. They got replanted to corn. So we did not get any data off of those studies, but those are what I have definitely in the queue for this year, hopefully, and uh, always looking for options for more with other cooperators. In Wood County, I think in 2024, the still the hot topic, I think is tar spot timing. When, when are we going to spray our fungicides? How are we going to spray our fungicides and what's most effective? I had producers that have put on with helicopters planes, with drones, with ground rigs, different types of nozzles and, and different applications. But I still think the timing portion is, is what's key. Going to try to get a producer lined up that wants to do more of a timing um, effect on, on seeing, seeing what, what pays and what's mo most effective on that. Um, if we can continue to do a Zyway trial, I think that's still something that is a great tool in the toolbox for some growers if they have the capability of doing that. And uh, and also, I think on the soybean side of things, I'm going to piggyback what Wayne said about some soybean treatments. And we have heavy phytophthora issues up here in our heavy clays in Wood County and, and always seems to be a, an issue going into spring um, if we get a heavy rain. So um, still comparing some of those seed treatments, I think, would be pretty beneficial, too, for a lot of our growers up here. That's great. I love hearing all the ideas come in. And for any of our listeners who are curious about on-farm research, you can keep an eye on the corn newsletter as we move through spring. Um, I know looking at the protocols that we're starting to develop and fine tune now, cover crops are going to be a big one moving forward. If you've got fields that are cover cropped and want to understand what that's doing with your weed seed bank, um, we've got a trial looking at weed suppression by cover crops. We need fields that have been cover cropped and fields that haven't. Um, potassium is another one where opportunities are going to come up to better understand um, how that's available in season and what our applications could look like to be more efficient with that. And again, I say this every year, but the sky's the limit. So if there's questions you need answered, we can help design the trial that gets gets those answers and moves your operation forward. Thank you, Wayne and Nick, for sharing your trials with us and contributing to eFields over the years. Really looking forward to what we'll learn in the future. And for those of you who have not looked at eFields yet, we'll put a link to the website and also to it in the knowledge exchange where you can kind of sort through the reports in a different way over the various years. So we'll put those in the show notes and be sure to check it out. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode. Hey, podcast listeners, just a reminder to give us a like or subscribe so you know when we release new episodes. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to leave us a review also. We appreciate the comments.